Welkom bij Nieuw Amerikaans, aflevering 1, Black History Month. Met als speciale gast, cultuurman Rob Fields. Staten is de maand februari African American History Month, de maand waarin we eer betuigen aan de Afro-Amerikaanse geschiedenis. En het is dan ook heel toepasselijk voor deze eerste aflevering om gelijk maar eens stil te staan bij enkele van de enorme contributies vanuit de Afro-Amerikaanse cultuur, met culturele aanraders in de vorm van boeken, films en jawel podcasts. En verder een interview met cultuurcriticus Rob Fields. Oké, okay, de eerste aanbeveling van deze aflevering is het boek Between the World and Me van Tanahasi Coates, uh, winnaar van de National Book Awards in 2015, uitgegeven door Amsterdam University Press in vertaling van Rutger H. Cornets de Groot. Tanahasi Coates uh, schrijft regelmatig uh, voor The Atlantic Magazine en wordt de laatste jaren meer en meer uh, aanzien als een uh, publieke intellectueel die heel wat te zeggen heeft over de samenleving in de Verenigde Staten deze dagen. Het boek is een brief die hij schrijft aan zijn uh, jonge zoon, een teenager, en beschrijft in detail hoe Coates is opgegroeid in uh, Baltimore, um, een moeilijke jeugd gehad heeft, en verder hoe hij langzaam maar zeker um, meer en meer beseft dat hij in een wereld leeft van blanke dominantie, en uiteindelijk gaat studeren aan Howard University in het zuiden, waar hij in contact komt met enorm veel uh, literatuur geschreven door Afrikaans-Amerikaanse intellectuelen. Hij verhuist naar New York en later ook naar Parijs. En het boek is eigenlijk een, een, een soort van waarschuwing aan zijn zoon om hem te laten inzien dat alhoewel het soms wel zo lijkt, dat de tijden helemaal niet veranderd zijn en dat het nog steeds enorm gevaarlijk is voor een zwarte teenager om op straat te lopen deze dagen in de Verenigde Staten. Uh, gezien de politiebrutaliteit van de laatste jaren, van de laatste decennia en, en, en het racisme van de staat zelf, de brutaliteit van de staat gedurende de laatste eeuwen. Enfin, die jongen die weet dat natuurlijk wel, um, maar dat is het punt niet... Het boek is een belangrijk document om te leren over de ervaring van African Americans in de Verenigde Staten vandaag. Um, het is geen gemakkelijk boek om te lezen als blanke, uh, of zoals Coates het beschrijft, uh, mensen die denken dat ze blank zijn. Um, maar het is wel een enorme aanrader, dus als je hem nog niet gelezen hebt, uh, doe het binnenkort. Um, en als je het kunt vinden, lees hem in het Engels. Alright, de tweede uh, aanbeveling van deze aflevering is een documentaire I Am Not Your Negro, een documentaire van de regisseur Raoul Peck, een Haitiaanse regisseur die u misschien wel kent van uh, de film uit het jaar 2000, Lumumba, de Congolese onafhankelijksleider van uh, eind jaren 50, begin jaren 60, die in 1961 werd vermoord. 
De film I Am Not Your Negro is een uh, enorm uh, zware documentaire en eigenlijk best wel vergelijkbaar met het boek van uh, Tanahasi Coates, waar ik het zojuist over had. Het is namelijk uh, het persoonlijke verhaal van de bekende auteur James Baldwin uh, over zijn persoonlijke relatie met drie heel belangrijke leiders uit de African-American community. Um, Medgar Evers, Malcolm X en... Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Raoul Peck doet een fantastische job met de beelden, de muziek en de interviews met James Baldwin zelf. En het resultaat is een enorm, uh, enorm indrukwekkende documentaire die u zeker moet gaan zien als hij uh, in de bioscoop komt bij jullie. Zoals gezegd, het onderwerp is uh, racisme in de Verenigde Staten en de historische ervaring van zwarte Amerikanen, de uh, black experience zoals dat hier heet, uh, door de jaren heen. Volgende week zondag hebben we de Academy Awards, de Oscars zoals u weet. En uh, I Am Not Your Negro is genomineerd voor beste documentaire en ik hoop ook van harte dat hij het wint. Vooral omdat zoals u weet Beyoncé vorige week niet de Grammys heeft gewonnen. Uh, uh, niks tegen Adele natuurlijk, maar iedereen weet dat Beyoncé's Lemonade het album van het jaar was. Stukken beter. Aanbeveling van deze aflevering is So Many White Guys. So Many White Guys. So Many. So Many White Guys. So White. How much whiteness? All over the place. God damn. So Many White Guys is een podcast van Phoebe Robinson. Phoebe is een schrijfster, een auteur, een um, actrice en podcaster en vooral ook comedienne die de laatste jaren heel veel bekendheid heeft gekregen. Niet het minst door een andere podcast, Two Dope Queens, die ze samen met Jessica Williams, vroeger van The Daily Show, doet. Ze heeft ook een boek geschreven, You Can't Touch My Hair. En ze heeft dus nu ook haar eigen podcast, So Many White Guys, die nu net het tweede seizoen is ingegaan. So Many White Guys is geproduceerd door WNYC Studios hier in New York City. En de executive producer is Ilana Glazer, die je misschien wel kent van de Comedy Central show Broad City. Ook een show die enorm grappig is en die ik heel erg aanbeveel. In haar podcast heeft Phoebe Robinson conversaties met niet-blanke mensen en gasten uit de LHBT-gemeenschap. Ze is het namelijk moe om een van de weinige Afro-Amerikaanse en vrouwelijke stand-up comedians te zijn. 
En dus heeft ze het in haar podcast vaak over racisme en integratie, maar het is ook gewoon een hele grappige podcast. Hier is een clipje. What do you want to do? What's on your list of resolutions? Well, you know, I like I want to have more balance in my life. I feel like 2016 was a work-heavy year for me. Yeah. So I definitely want to travel more. I want to go international, get some more stamps in my passport. Ooh, yeah, I feel that. Like a lot of black writers like Ta-Nehisi Coates and James Baldwin have gone to France for an extended period just to write just because when you're in America as a black person, mm-hmm. you just are always made aware of your blackness all the time. So I kind of just want to switch it up and go somewhere where that's not the number one thing people notice about me. Right. So I've been thinking maybe like London or Paris for like a two week to four week stint. That's really cool. Yeah. Also, I just love picturing you in Paris. You would like have a beret and be riding around a bicycle with like a loaf of bread sticking out of your bike. I love that. And then, like, in London, I would wear, you know, a raincoat. <laughs> and excuse me, where's Michael Fassbender's house? He lives in London. 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 Get the London look. I love that. What if I ended up going to London for a four-week stint and I fell in love with one of the guards outside the Royal Palace? Oh my god, but he couldn't talk to you. Yeah, that's like real that would actually be such a cute romantic comedy. You just like stand next to him and he can't talk or engage at all, but it's actually this like amazing love story. Yeah, I'm saying it could be like a silent movie. I would play me Oz, and then my love interest would be hmm. Mr. Bean. <laughs> yes, Gaga. Ik heb like facial expression to nail the role. I love that. The first interracial relationship in the history of Mr. Bean. <laughs> I'm so into this. Okay. We have to find like an executive producer to take. Oh, Alana, Doi. Yeah, we'll get Alana to produce it. Yeah, she's gonna love it. It's gonna be her and Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> um, speaking of finding a surprising connection with mm-hmm, someone. Mm-hmm. Phoebs. Hey, Joan. How'd you feel about throwing to our segment about uniting people together? Ooh, look at that segue. I'm not talking about the one you ride. That was so good. Yeah, you know what, guys? This is Epi 3. You know what's going on. We want to break the cycle of negativity and make this shit positive. So Alana Glazer and I think tanked, okay? We thought and we tanked. (laughs) Across the aisle. We may be different, but what do we have in common? You know this segment. This is a segment where these gals reach across the aisle to people who have diverse political beliefs, distinct from ours. And we want to say, you know, we may disagree on this or that, on that or this, but what we can agree on is drinking and smoking weed. We're not talking crazy shit. We're talking middle of the bell curve, people who just enjoy sipping on that gateway drug, whether it's alcohol, whether it's a little bit of weed, just the easing of reality, this harsh, harsh reality that we live in. Can we agree that it's delightful? Yeah. A little white wine, a little Pinot Grige, a little Merlot, a little Rosé, a little Chardonnay. Mm, mm. 
we all need to unwind. We all work too much. We all think too much. We all feel too much. We do need some alcohol. We need a glass of wine every night. Sometimes I smoke um, marijuana, and that helps soften the reality of the concrete jungle that we live in, you know? <laughs> Softens yeah. the reality of, like, walking to the train, walking down the steps, yeah. getting on the train, walking up the steps, whatever. It's like waiting in line at, like, Starbucks. It's like I can't. <sighs> and, like, hearing some conversation that's insufferable. It's oh, like, my God. Those are the worst. Because mm. we have those conversations, but when you're not in those mm. conversations, you're like, where's your mother? I want to shoot her. So come on, people who don't think like us, we can agree on that. Let's all just do like on The Real Housewives. Let's all go to Cabo. I'll meet you in Cabo. Yeah. And have a little drink. Done. Let's do it. Love it. You guys did it again. Found some common ground. Hell yeah, baby. Everybody loves a drug. Yeah, you guys, sometimes you just got to get lit, get turned. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, my drug of choice is caffeine. Wait, seriously? No, I mean, it's all of the cool drugs I take at all-night parties that I get invited to. All oh, you, are yeah. you taking lots of drugs? So, like what? So many. Um, let's cut to the mid-roll break. It's time for a sponsorship. You know what? What? I, this is supposed to be new rules in season two. Fuck sponsorship, dog. Uh... Okay, well, then I guess we can just make the show in your basement. Yeah, we can't. I have an apartment near Bay Ridge, near the Toyota Bay Ridge division. Oh, cool. Maybe they'll let us use a conference room (laughs) and record there. (laughs) Hi, this is So Many White Ties recorded from the Toyota dealership in Bay Ridge. On today's show, we've got a white guy. His name is Tony, and he works at the Toyota dealership in Bay Ridge. Do you think any of our celeb guests would come all the way to Bay Ridge Toyota to do the show? Only if we said there was a pop-up store. (laughs) All right, fair point. Let's do this sponsorship. Okay. En in de laatste aflevering van elk seizoen heeft ze een symbolische white guy te gast. De show is heel grappig en ja, ik uh, beveel hem aan. Mijn volgende aanbeveling is weer een boek, Blood at the Root, van Patrick Phillips. Uh, Patrick is een vriend van mij, die heeft vorig jaar dit uh, boek geschreven en het is uitgekomen bij W.W. Norton Company. Uh, Bij mijn weten nog niet vertaald of verkrijgbaar in het Nederlands, maar je kunt hem wel bestellen uh, via de website van uh, van de publisher. De ondertiteling van het boek is Racial Cleansing in America, oftewel een raciale of etnische zuivering in Amerika. Het is een uh, non-fictie verhaal. Uh, waarin Patrick uh, vertelt wat er uh, uh, gebeurd is in de regio waar hij is opgegroeid. Uh, Die regio heet Forsyth County in Georgia. Het verhaal begint in 1912, maar gaat door tot in de jaren 90. De bevolking en de politici van Forsyth County hadden beslist dat ze hun county legaal uh, volledig blank wilden houden. 
En dat doel hebben ze bereikt, dat hebben ze uh, kunnen verwezenlijken door systematisch door de jaren heen de zwarte bevolking met een campagne van terrorisme eigenlijk te te, te verwijderen. En dat soort dingen uh, zijn niet uh, vreemd in Amerika. Uh, Er zijn heel veel verhalen over dit soort toestanden die meer en meer aan het licht komen. Dus een uh, een belangrijk boek ook weer, de moeite om te lezen, een echte aanbeveling. Ja, ik had het net al gezegd, uh, volgende zondag zijn het de Academy Awards. En laten we het eens even hebben over de film Moonlight, shall we? Een fantastische film van uh, regisseur Barry Jenkins met in uh, een van de rollen, niet echt een hoofdrol, maar een belangrijke rol, van uh, Mahershala Ali, die uh, waarschijnlijk een Oscar zal krijgen voor Best Supporting Actor. Dat is natuurlijk een gevaarlijke voorspelling, want Oscars zijn notoriously white. Er is uh, natuurlijk die hashtag OscarsSoWhite. En de vraag is natuurlijk, uh, zal de film La La Land weglopen met alle uh, Oscars dit jaar? Of uh, wordt de Oscar misschien een klein beetje meer geïntegreerd? Er zijn ook uh, drie zwarte actrices die uh, genomineerd zijn voor... Best Actress in a Supporting Role. En dat zijn Viola Davis voor Fences en Octavia Spencer voor Hidden Figures. En natuurlijk Naomi Harris voor Moonlight, de film waar ik het over had. En uh, ja, we zullen zien zondag uh, of het inderdaad nog een keertje uh, witte Oscar uh, avond wordt of misschien, misschien wel eens niet. Ja, uh, Moonlight is natuurlijk uh, in alle bioscopen in Vlaanderen en Nederland te zien. Ik ga er niet te veel over zeggen. Alleen maar, ga hem zien. Het is de moeite. Hele mooie film. Uh, Belangrijke film ook. En ik hoop dat hij de uh, Oscar krijgt voor beste film van het jaar. En beste luisteraars, hier zijn we aangekomen bij de laatste aanbeveling van deze aflevering voordat we naar het interviewsegment overgaan. Still Processing is de naam van een podcast waar ik de laatste tijd heel erg veel naar geluisterd heb. Het is een podcast die geproduceerd wordt door de New York Times en gepresenteerd wordt door Jenna Wortham. En Wesley Morris, uh, twee cultuurcritici die een enorm goede uh, radio-energie hebben samen en die tegelijkertijd ook heel uh, goede kritiek geven over de Amerikaanse cultuur, over wat ze lezen, wat ze horen, wat ze zien op tv, uh, over mode, over politiek en, en van alles en nog wat. Maar vooral gaat het over uh, Jenna en uh, Wesley's visie over de Amerikaanse Uh, maatschappij met een beetje een accent op New York City speciaal. En hier is een clipje uh, waarin ze discussiëren over het feit dat Beyoncé eigenlijk toch wel de Grammy van Best Album of the Year had moeten winnen. Listen, I just have a lot of feelings about what happened on Sunday. I've worked through most of them. Same. I worked a lot of them out in yoga today. But I still don't really like where we are on this. Okay, so there are a couple theories floating around and I want to hear yours first because you've you've 
given me a couple, like a, some glimpses, bits and pieces of kind of why you think Beyonce was snubbed so hardcore. And I really, really, really want to hear what you've, what you've focused on. Well, okay. My overriding objection to what is happening right now is that we can't enjoy award shows anymore True. for not even the performances now. We are so willing to let everything be polemicized that, you know, Lady Gaga <laughs> was expected to, like, yeah, at the no, Super Bowl that's halftime right, that's show, right, that's right. she had to be preemptively warned against right, right, saying right. something about Donald Trump as though she might have. And who knows what she would have done. So this is where we are now. And people felt like... Was that enough of a protest? Was that a protest right. in her own way? Right. You know, and it's is just she like, selling out her values like, as a what? person who's been protesting all this other stuff what? that she wouldn't use the biggest platform she's ever had to right. say right. something about the president? Right. So we went into that show with that frame of mind. I think we went in similarly in the way that the Super Bowl had been politicized too, where you had this idea that one team was America's team and the other team was some other America. Mm-hmm. I do feel like the the bogus Adele versus Beyonce binary that we went into the Grammys with was analogous to that. Right. Right. It, which was and, and the Super Bowl was analogous, of course, to the election. And so we're we it's like we need to keep experiencing these post-traumatic stresses. And I just feel like what happened with Adele was very simple. Like, first of all, it's ridiculous to treat these artists like Agree. teams. Agree. They're not even playing on the same field. They're not even trying to play on they're the same field. They're not even playing. They're not. They're well. They're playing ga- a game, right? They're playing a music industry game. But I mean, but Beyonce and Adele have never. They've never set themselves up to be in competition right. with each other. No, that's all I'm saying. It's, right. But the ridiculous thing to me is, or the thing that's useful to remember, is that you are putting a lot of stake in the tastes <laughs> yeah. of a bunch of old white men. Who need a system to continue. Right. And they need to have their business model verified. And the thing that most did that in 2016 and 2015 was Adele. Absolutely. She sold actual albums. Yeah. She sold a lot of actual albums. And Beyonce and Drake. And to a certain extent, <laughs> poor Drake. Well, but don't feel bad for him. I don't feel bad I mean, for Drake at like all. But it's just funny. Even the Grammys saying poor anybody is. I, I feel like that might be the problem. I think it's just useful to remember who we should be mad at. It is the institution of the Grammys, but it's also the ecosystem of I'll just say it, the media that is setting us up to behave. We treated like the election like a reality show. We treated the Super Bowl like an episode of Survivor, and we treated the Grammys like the Hunger Games. I mean, we're treating all of these things as though we're living it out battle royale over and over and over again. And it's it's what well, we love it. We were like we're all tuning in and getting turned on by the spectacle. So we should be mad at the Grammys, but we should also be mad at ourselves Yo, because course, we are absolutely. participating in it as I, much as they I are. I just can't watch. I can't watch another show in which. The upset party has to apologize to the well, to the upset team. I hate to break it to you, baby, but that's where we're at, and that's what's going to happen on Sunday with the Oscars, as you already know. I don't want to see Damien Chazelle say to Barry Jenkins, the presumed runner-up, when La La Land wins. You know, yeah. most of the yeah. things it's nominated for. I don't want to watch that. I think Adele is perfect. I think she handled that situation as gracefully as a human could. 
tonight winning this kind of feels full, full circle and like a bit of me has come back to myself but I can't possibly accept this award and I'm very humbled and I'm very grateful and gracious but my artist of my life is Beyonce in this album for me. The Lemonade album was just so monumental, Beyonce. It was so monumental and so well thought out and so beautiful and soul bearing and we all got to see another side to you that you don't always let us see and we appreciate that. There's nothing she could do to please everybody. It just sets people up for failure. Right. There's and no the, winners. In and so scenario. we are also talking about optics too, right? There's no denying the fact that Adele is also a soul singer whose whose version of soul is more acceptable to those people in the industry. Of course. Right? And Beyonce's version of it is too confrontational. And if you think about it, if you know who's voting for these awards, there's no way right. they're giving, you know, I like my Negro yeah. with Jackson 5 nostrils. Yeah. Like, that's not winning a Grammy yeah. for album of the year or song of the year or record of the year. I mean, they had to make up a category to give her a Grammy. The only music Grammy she won was, I don't even know what urban, urban contemporary. contemporary. <laughs> I know. Do you know what I mean? Of it's course. like, Beyonce, this is going to be. I don't know. You had a really interesting existential question as yeah. a result of what happened on Sunday. Of course. I mean, I texted you guys the, the close up of Beyonce's, you know, tearful face and her eyes just like those like liquid brown pools right before the tears spill over as Adele is speaking to her. And I just keep thinking about that face because I was watching the spectacle go down and I was, you know, a couple of glasses of wine and shaking my fist at the TV like expletive the man you know but then i saw beyonce's face and the bayhive earlier was tweeting this link was going around that was like retweet if lemonade is lemonade is your album of the year no matter what happens and i was like yes but then you see her face and she wants it so bad and you realize that it's only human to want to be recognized in that way it's only human to want to feel that degree of legitimacy um, on that stage among those peers after you've just given the performance of a lifetime on that stage as well. And I think that changed my perspective too, because it made me start to wonder, does she recover from this? Like, where does Beyonce go from here? What do you do after Lemonade? Like, literally, what do you do after Lemonade? Well, apparently you drop a single the next day. <laughs> a single came that, out? That I'm sorry, DJ, was there, was there a Beyonce DJ single? Khaled? Don't mess with me. Did a Beyonce single come out? Yes, Wesley. I forwarded Wesley. it to you. That and was then, a YouTube link. That, that was a YouTube link. You can't just send me a YouTube link and an <laughs> iMessage. It doesn't open with a preview. There's no preview. In that. I'm not playing with you right now. What was that link? You have to say new Beyonce. It was. It's a DJ Khaled record that has a Beyonce verse on it. It's not anything. Okay, that's special. not the my whole blood pressure thing. is going back. No, down. let that's it fine. let it go back down. But that's I mean, fine. the it's a legitimate question. Like the shelf life for pop stars, the shelf life for female pop stars, the shelf life for female black pop stars is short. So Beyonce is about to be a mother again. She might just say like. Maybe she'll start a St. Huron. I mean, she's clearly already experimenting with what it means to be a self-publisher with her website and the way she's using Instagram. Like, maybe she'll just keep, maybe she'll pour more money into title. IDK. I just, I don't know what Beyonce does with a three years running rejection when she continues to grow and outdo herself and top herself. It's like asking Michael bay to put more explosions in the explosions it's like at some point you cannot <laughs> architect any more crazy car explosions you know like i just don't know what she's supposed to do 
to appease them. So it makes me wonder what does she do as an artist to f- still feel satisfied? I think she just keeps going. I feel like she also I think we I think what she does to the extent that these things matter to her is what we should all do, which is to like focus on the work itself cuz we're not doing that really. No, we are, but I mean, I mean we we are but we're but not. In this context right? we're not because no, all because we're thinking we're about is No, because we're hung up on like on accolades like we are yeah. the accolades right we are the accolades like i mean the to the extent that like who the, the people who love beyonce or adele or sturgill simpson yeah. poor sturgill's <laughs> like where where's the seat at the table for those people who went to the grammys they were like i want sturgill to win everything you know what they didn't give an s oh well, they've got the cmas they were i mean, I mean and and no not for sturgill simpson well, i don't even know who that is i he i mean i saw the, his face a million times but i still was he's like he's one of the know. album nominees anyway yeah was this song? Is this song like I took a pill in the pizza? No, that's not Sturgill. No, what are you? That's Mike I, Posner. I don't know who these people are. <laughs> the opposite of Sturgill. Simpson. Listen, my eyes only came into focus. <laughs> there was a brown face on screen. I was the rest of the time I was muting it. Anyway. Oh well. You... But that's the thing, though. That's that's the exact point, though, is that we've become so starved. It's not exactly representation, but we've become so starved for recognition validation and validation and some other symbol that's bigger than us that says your life matters that we we turn these celebrities into signifiers that are way beyond anything they've ever wanted to be or anything they've ever even and tried we turn to be. these award shows in the super bowl every time but think about who else isn't at the super bowl no spanish speakers yeah. <laughs> at the grammys there was not one indication yeah. beyond Jennifer Lopez's simple appearance. Right, right. That there was anyone ever in this country who's ever made a Latin American music hit. Yeah. Right. I mean, I just feel like there's so real. many problems with these shows in the first place that to focus on one thing is to create a blind spot for something else. So it's, I think the Biebers and the Kanye's and the Drake's and Frank Ocean's had it right. They did have it right. And honestly, like, I mean, cue Solange. Like, where do we go from here if our award shows are also becoming white nationalist movements? I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, no. Verder in deze aflevering hebben Jenna en Wesley een gesprek met uh, Raoul Peck, de uh, eerder vernoemde regisseur van I Am Not Your Negro, ook een fantastisch interview dat dat de moeite waard is om te beluisteren. Dus download Still Processing vandaag. So, my guest today is Rob Fields. Hi Rob. Hey. How are you feeling? I am doing great. Great. Welcome to the show. So, uh, as I was researching you uh, for this interview, I was reminded about um, your impressive resume. So you are a contributor to so many things, like uh, online publications. I saw you on Huffington Post, Forbes, The Root, to name a few. Uh, you're a marketer, you're a culture critic, curator. You've worked in the music industry. You host a literary series with your wife, author Bridget Davis. And now I read you're uh, relaunching an incarnation of the New Black Imagination Festival in 2017, which I'd like to hear about. Mm -hmm. Is that a good description of you, of what you do? Yeah, that's that's pretty much a good um, 30 second uh, encapsulation. Very high level, but yeah, that's kind of it. In the episode in which you will feature, I I mentioned uh, a little segment on the fact that Beyonce didn't win 
the Grammy that everybody mm-hmm. thought she deserved so much. Right. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, it was a. I, I don't feel any way of, about it. I know that there are many uh, people who are like, "Oh, Beyonce was robbed," and maybe she was. Um, but the, if you understand the composition of the um, the Recording Academy. They are made up of still majority like older white guys, you know, and that's not to say that in any kind of pejorative way. It's just that the album that Adele turned in just really speaks to a long tradition of singer songwriter stories, well told, well sung. And, you know, people of a certain age get that. Yeah. You know, on a very visceral level, it connects them to a long history of these um, singer-songwriters, and the you know, if you all the way back to like Dylan or Stevie Wonder or some somebody like that, and so Adele's album was very traditional in that way. But that's kind of amazing, though, that these um, these these juries or whatever you want to call them, these people who decide all these awards, are still so much not in tune with what's going on in modern culture. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the cu- culture changes at the at the edges and if you are part of an established institution, you know, you have to make a concerted effort to kind of see what's going on and also get out of your comfort zone as it were to say, gee, what does this really mean? You know, the 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 challenge that you, we all have uh, when we grow older is that we lose our connection to, you know, that edge culture in many ways, shapes or forms just because our lives change. So we're not out at uh, seeing live music, you know, three times a week like we used to be. That's right. You know, in our in our 20s and we're not going to these clubs and we're not going to all these literary readings and events and whatnot and so you get sort of disconnected your life's focus changes particularly if you have kids and you know you're helping with homework or if your job becomes more um more demanding you rise in the ranks at your organization you have more responsibility i mean you know you're not really running around out there in the way that sort of gives you a window into the now Right. You know, and so you're getting what's happening, say, from a third party source like The New York Times or Fast Company magazine or, you know, you're reading The Guardian. You're like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I'd really love to hear about that. You're listening to NPR, but you're not out there in it. Mm -hmm. So what it means, what a cultural phenomenon means to the people who are creating it is different to than what it is uh, will necessarily be understood by somebody who's farther away from that you know that uh that edge of mm-hmm. where where it's happening and so yeah i'm not saying that yeah. we all should take a lot of stake in award shows it's just that no. they're so visible and they are like, visible um, and it is and, and it's it's you know and it's it's you know people are of two minds about it it's like on one hand it's like you know f these award shows and everything because they don't really reflect what's happening now and blah 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 but they are like the oscars they are the industry's highest awards and so you feel like you know how do you how does you how do you change an institution so that it is more um more in tune with contemporary culture 
in a mm-hmm. way that helps it say, aha, I understand what that album means and what it means in the context of today. You know, a, a, a an, an academy, a recording academy with a different composition, a perhaps younger or perhaps more diverse composition would have looked at that Beyonce album differently no doubt you know and 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 you know and it's just that just is what it is it's not a not blaming because people can only you know this whole thing of if you're older and being asked to comment on something from a different generation there's a lot of you know biases you have to overcome and it's mm -hmm. just you know because we're all shaped by the times we grow up in Beyonce's album particularly Formation uh came along in the midst of Black Lives Matter. Well, yeah, that too. Just like Kendrick's album, just like um, the D'Angelo album that dropped. Um, uh, what has happened in American culture is that American culture has been, thanks to uh, cell phone video and the internet, inundated with pictures of you know police brutality against black and brown people. You know, and that's just been in the news on people's minds, and it, and it, and it, and that sort of resonates up to the level of a Beyonce. Artists should reflect the times they're in because that's how they're relevant and that's how they speak to you. That's why people go, oh, that's my song. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. you know, if it's not a love song, it's, you know, a song that speaks to the way you feel also. And you're like, oh, they wrote that for me. Mm-hmm. So um, you just mentioned the Oscars already. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you saw it. And uh, I actually didn't see it. But mm-hmm. I, of course, read about what happened. Um, I was super psyched for Moonlight Amazing winning because what a be- beautiful uh, film that is. Right. Um, but of course, and maybe it's just irony, uh, it wasn't uh, allowed to. Given its full due. To, to, yeah, to uh, shine. And uh, how did you interpret that? Uh, I was like, well, of course they're going to give it to La La Land. I have not seen La La Land, so I can't really comment on that film. I've only heard the broad outlines of that. And I like, mean, everybody thought it was going to go to La La Land. Yeah, you know, because they, because that seems to be the the industry favorite. I mean, fourteen. It had Oscar all the different aspects. You know, it, it tied what Titanic or something like that. Yeah, I, guess. With, yeah, I mean, it, it it tied whatever record there was, and so the fix seemed to be in for this kind of film, and in some ways you could understand people liking La La Land given all the um, the the strife in our country politically you know the disappointment over and by some people over Hillary not winning uh, the divisiveness that's been kicked up you know so some escapist fantasy is you know maybe what people like I just want to go to the movies and just you know get out of here and there's nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that Um, at all I mean that's that's what I'm using Logan for and like you know that's what I use like kung fu movies for right you know Um, but La La but when Moonlight won I mean, no, they didn't get their full, you know, unadulterated view. But guess what? At the end of the day, the best picture of the year is Moonlight. Yeah, that's what I take away from it. I don't you know, I'm less worried about um, it's not something that the from the stories I'm reading. It's not something that the producers you know, did intentionally. It turns out the PwC guy, the Price Waterhouse Coopers guy, was tweeting when he should have been handing the envelope out. I know, incredible. Yeah. So um, you know, gee, also talk, a sign at times, right? Like, yeah. You know, and 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 you know, so you know, um, hopefully he will get you know keep his job and everything because that's like a huge blow to their reputation. Yeah, I totally. Mean, they've been doing Oscars for eighty three years. The thing that I thought was so cool about 
that movie winning is uh, despite the the political significance mm -hmm. and the victory for uh black community i think also just a kind of movie right like you you're supposed to make a certain type of movie this was a short movie it was like a low budget movie it was you know, not million dollars, million there was half, no yeah. real main um character in it right? because yeah, just yeah, like yeah. so all these different things make, i feel like it opens up the whole field a little bit hopefully for for hopefully, future hopefully i movies, mean i right? mean you know it's i mean I, I don't ever want to um diminish the you know the the value of iconography mm -hmm. the impact of being able to see something on a screen just the way that no matter what Barack Obama was president and that meant something to a lot of little black kids. Like there are kids who were grown up who are like nine years old. They've never seen anything but a black man as president. Yeah. Our kids. Right? Our, our kids. Yeah. If, 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 you know, that's that's amazing. And it's likewise with Moonlight, these this nuanced representation of black gay men, you know, that's important, mm -hmm. you know, and the film was beautiful. And you know what? It had been. It had been eight years since Barry did Medicine for Melancholy. So talk about and grinding it out indie style. You know, I mean, this is this is so wonderful. Yeah, no, it you know, off. and and so I don't. And so yeah, it would have been great to have its moment and everything. But let's look at the big picture. It's still the best picture of the year. It won the Academy Award. I know. And guess what? He is going to have a career. He's going to be able to make more films. He's going to be able to do more. Um, he's going to be able to inspire more people, hopefully to pick up cameras and make films. And because, you know, some kids somewhere, I tell you this all happens all the time. Some little black kid is sitting there going like, wow, he just won an Oscar. Some kid there. I mean, that's important. <laughs> Sorry. That's absolutely important. So, you know, and you may not see the effect of that you know, you know, in next year or the year, but you know, somewhere out there that resonates. And so that's why that's important, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and some gay kid may say, wow, my life is getting, uh, put on the screen. And guess what? Some Muslim kid is like, I have just seen the first Muslim American actor win an Oscar. Yeah. The significance is, it's is significant, enormous. you know, so whether or not you got, they did get to do their speeches, right? You know, right. it might've been shortened a little bit, but at the end of the day, guess what? Guess who won the best picture? And that's what we remember. And that's right. what we're going to yeah. remember. I don't want you know, I mean, I think it's easy for all of us to spend too much time focusing on, you know, the shortcomings and just like, look, I, I'm, I guarantee you Barry's not sitting around going and I don't know Barry, you know, I haven't talked to him in years. Um, sitting around the line I should have had another 30 seconds to like say my thanks and everything yeah. it's like that was so momentous they kept the cameras rolling right you right. know so um yeah um other significant things you know the documentary uh OJ Made in America oh, yeah, yeah. uh I'm not your negro which mm -hmm. I was so impressed by as well um how important are these documentaries today do you think well I mean it it's such a a, a perfect sort of um way to what what's great about these documentaries is that they use histor like historical events quote unquote uh to help create context that helps people understand where we are today so the OJ 
Made in America really did a fine job of sort of um, putting him in context of American racism and, you know, the fact that O.J., you know, kind of was this, you know, he was a racial, you know, I mean, he just was like, I- I'm just staying away from any discussion of civil rights or race or anything. I'm just I'm O.J. I'm just the juice. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm just O.J. And he was invited into, you know, very exclusive corridors of power and access and whatnot. And that, um, you know, was probably not the best thing, you know, for somebody like that. Somebody who had, as it turns out, murderous tendencies. Now, did is he a product of his environment? And to some extent, yes. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this in any way to excuse the murder of two people, which, you know, look, the LAPD framed a guilty man. You it's know, such a, it's such a yeah. fascinating story. And for people like us who were, you know, following that whole right. thing uh, live, I, I, I was just thrown back to that right. time and how intense it all was. It was and very like, intense. I mean, I was here in New York in 92 when they announced the Rodney King verdict and like New York City people left work early because they thought there was going to be riots. They thought black people were going to be pulling people out of their cars or something. It was just like, really guys? The city was empty. I remember that. I was like, really? Is it that deep? Um, And so if my chronology is correct, yeah, because the the Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman were murdered in 94, so two mm-hmm. years later. So, you know, you had the L.A. riots after the King, after the King verdict, then you had um, O.J. Simpson, you know, and then you fast forward to um, I Am Not Your Negro, which kind of, you know, really, you know, James Baldwin was so prescient and so understood you know, this experiment that we call America. And, you know, he kept saying in the film, he says in the film that, you know, it's not really about, you know, the Negro. It's about Mm -hmm. what is white America going to do about it. And it's really about how how white America uh, is going to um, make peace with itself. Yeah. Yes, exactly. One more thing. Um, I'd just like to hear you uh, tell me what you are thinking about in terms of what's interesting to listen to these days. What are you reading? Are there any blogs you think uh, we should know about or podcasts? or? I actually happen to have a list here. Okay. Uh, well, why know. don't we so, hear it? So in terms of reading, um, the two things I'm, I'm reading right now, I'm going back and forth between Octavia Butler, uh, this book Dawn. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I rec- recommend um, uh, for people, some of my friends are, YA authors, so the young adult authors. If you haven't read uh, Javaka Steptoe, he just—he's a illustrator. Mm-hmm. He just did this wonderful, award-winning book on Jean-Michel Basquiat. His the artist's early years, uh, from the time when he was a kid to the time when he got famous. It's beautiful. Um, Jackie Woodson, uh, who wrote *Brown Girl Dreaming*, which was a National Book Award winner. Um, our, our friends uh, Tanya Hegeman, who wrote *Willow*. 
uh, Kini Abura Salam, who's another speculative fiction author. She's amazing. Uh, Tayyim Bajess is a poet uh, who has this book called Olio that looks at, uh, combines multiple forms of poetry like sonnets and uh, Arabic ghazals and all kind of poetic structures to really look at the lives of these um, uh, African-American performers who lived after the Civil War and before World War II, like Burt Williams and those folks, and really reimagines how they kind of made their lives. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, my friend Tiari Jones uh, has a really uh, great book coming out called An American Marriage. I'm not sure what it's about, but it'll be out in 2018. She wrote Silver Sparrow and Leaving Atlanta, among her uh, uh, other books. Um, I have to give a shout out to my wife, Bridgette Davis, who's currently working on um, a, a nonfiction book, a memoir of her mom called What Does Happiness Play For? Um, her mom was a bookie in an underground lottery in Detroit known as The Numbers uh, back in the uh, 60s and 70s. So that's a fascinating story um, that she is currently working on right now. Uh, in terms of podcasts, there's a, a bunch of podcasts that I really like. Um, you know, uh, a friend of mine, Ali Muhammad, and two of his friends do one called In the Conversation. It's just guys kind of hanging out, talking about current events in a kind of irreverent kind of way. Um, Helga Davis is an amazing singer, um, but she also this year started doing a podcast through WQXR Q2 Music, and she's has a conversation with a variety of different artists, like people like Solange and Henry Threadgill and the writer Hilton Owls, um, and it's just called Helga. Um, there's, uh, for any of you in tech and media, I think one of the best tech and media podcasts is um, for analysis of what's happening in the macro forces uh, uh, that are shaping those two industries is called Exponent. Um, and it's James Allworth and Ben Thompson. Amazing just analysis. Um, there's the Combat Jack show for all of you into hip hop. Uh, Combat Jack, he interviews anybody and everybody in hip hop. And it's just, and he's an amazing interviewer. What I really like about him, he's a ex lawyer who's now uh, doing a lot of podcasting. Uh, and he really has a manner with people and really, I mean, anybody and everybody in hip hop, you will hear on this. And he's been doing it for like the last three years or so, three, four years. Um, I like 99% Invisible because it really looks at design and the things that you don't see. Um, really kind of fun stuff. And last but not least in terms of podcast, um, I have to shout out my friends, uh, uh, Michael Brooks and Phil McKenzie, uh, who do Two Dope Boys in a podcast. Uh, it's a podcast I participate in on a regular basis that talks about, looks at, um, looks at uh, current events and marketing and culture and tries to understand, you know, everything that's happening in the in the world through the lens of contemporary culture. So that's kind of interesting. Um, artist, I would say art, music, because we got to talk about music. Um, there's a new Jose James album. Hooray. Love in the Time of Madness. He's an amazing vocalist. Uh, you know, just one of my favorite young guys who's, you know, who comes out of a jazz tradition. But this album is not a jazz record, per se. Um, 
Um, I'm, I'm excited to know that my friend Tamar Kali is working on new music. Uh, she leads a band called Five Piece. It's Tamar Kali and Five Piece, but uh, she is a, sort of a rock goddess. Uh, and she's got this new project, Demon Fruit Blues. Um, Thundercat has a new album, incredible bass player. I saw him at Afropunk this year. Um, it's a weird kind of, it's a weird ish album I mean he's just kind of this kind of off the wall kind of guy so there's these he sings in this very high voice and I think that's kind of purposeful but to see him play the bass is to see virtuosity uh it's an amazing album so that's really great so that's kind of what's going on in that's a lot that's a lot that's a lot for me to uh digest now I have my work cut out for me to actually go and like (laughs) figure this all out rob fields thank you so much for being here it's been very enlightening for me and um uh yeah it's a pleasure to talk to you thank you you guys can uh, follow me on twitter at rob fields uh or you can check out robfields.com or boldaslove.us boldaslove.us thanks so much All right, so this is the end of the uh, rebroadcast of the uh, episode I recorded last year in 2017. Uh, it's one that I'm really proud of um, just because it's so important to celebrate Black History Month and also because uh, my friend Rob Fields was so generous in um, coming over and having this interview with me. Uh, so please subscribe at iTunes or SoundCloud or any of the platforms where I'm going to uh, release this stuff. Heel hartelijk bedankt voor het luisteren. Uh, tot de volgende keer. Uh, en dat is dan ook weer al een jaar later. Bye.